Hello and welcome to this episode of Boardroom Talk. I'm Harriet Russell, Sectors Editor at the magazine, and today I'm joined by Chief Executive of clothing chain Jewels, Colin Porter, and Chief Financial Officer Mark Dench. Welcome to both of you. Colin, we're immediately going to date ourselves here, but it's been an interesting week for the high street. It looks like we're losing Patisserie Valerie, occasion where Brand Coast has collapsed, and of course this follows a slew of other high-profile disappearances this year, including Toys R Us, Maplin, and most notably House of Fraser, albeit the latter has been rescued by Sports Direct's Mike Ashley. Colin, in your opinion, what's making success on the high street so difficult this year and why are we losing these big names? As always, it's a combination of things. Consumer confidence being the umbrella of all of that, uh, which is obviously impacted, knocked by uncertainty, be it Brexit or just uh, general uncertainty in the marketplace that always, always uh, really makes customers think twice about uh, what, where they shop, when they shop, etc. We've had another couple of hiccups this week as well, um, specifically from Ted Baker and Quiz. The former disappointed with its interim numbers and the latter had a surprise profit warning, citing lower online sales to third parties, groups like Next, Debenhams, Zalando. And so this has started to raise some questions about the resilience of what's known as multi-channel retailing, which is obviously um, a model that Jules follows. So do you still believe in it as a strategy that's defensive in this kind of a market? Most definitely. For us, the way that we approach it is is thinking about where do our customers like to shop, putting the brand and the product in front of their cus- the customer in terms of their preference of where they like to shop. So that might be online jewels or it might be at Next Label online or it could be in John Lewis department store, it could be an independent. And I think to us, that's about having a flexible model uh, to make sure that we putting the brand in the right place and then putting the product in, in the right place in the right quantities for that, that customer demand. Speaking of which, as of May this year, you were operating from 123 stores across the UK and Ireland and your wholesale business also supplies around 1,500 retail stockists from what I understand, which includes John Lewis. There's been a lot of speculation about the health of department stores and whether that model is starting to become a bit outdated and I suppose House of Fraser has taught us a little bit about that sort of exposure this year. You guys yourselves have made a £0.3 million provision in relation to your relationship with House of Fraser. And actually, research from Altus Group showed that a re-evaluation um, of business properties in the UK dating back to April 2010 showed that there were a total of 245 effectively department stores. But eight years on, that, that number is down by almost a third to 178. So are you particularly concerned by your relationship with third parties and specifically those sort of department stores, John Lewis and, and so on? Our partnerships are based on both online and bricks and mortar models, so we're not immune to how the customer is now behaving. Uh, and so, you know, we see that with our business, with the likes of John Lewis, that more and more of it is going online uh, and less in stores. And, you know, so we tend to also partner with online partners such as Next Label. As you said, our exposure to House Fraser was, was relatively low. We have a small amount of wholesale business with them. So actually that, you know, that hasn't been as disruptive as it has to, to many others. No, I mean, Quiz, I think, made a 0. 
£1.4 million provision, which is not dissimilar to the total you've taken. But three or four weeks later, they're suddenly citing lower third party across sort of almost their entire wholesale channel, at least the wholesale channel sort of rooted in the British High Street. But I know that you guys are working hard to grow wholesale outside of this country, aren't you? Most definitely. So we're having great success in our international expansion, predominantly in the US and Germany. Uh, and as you say, that's, that's done through wholesale models. So working with both online and traditional department stores and everything in between. But it, for us, it's a, it's a major initiative in terms of building the brand uh, on a global basis, but choosing the US and, and Germany as our two markets at this time. And how have you gone about trying to translate the brand outside of the UK? Because from my perspective, at least, and I'm sure from our listeners' perspective, it's it's a very British heritage brand and it's something that a British person would automatically be able to sort of understand, at least thematically. But they would perhaps wonder how an American or a German person would relate to it. So what are the things that you've seen? The way we set ourselves out is to make sure actually that the brand comes across the same as it does in the UK. So all our values that the customers know us for in the UK in terms of being a great outdoor brand, being a brand with real heritage, with our country roots, and then delivering great quality product with a unique USP of colour and print, all the things that actually we make sure come across when we go international. Um, But of course, as you say, what we can add on to that internationally is our British heritage. And so we're actually very proud that actually the customers are seeing us uh, overseas in the same way that our UK customers see us. And that's that's the ideal when you take a brand abroad. Let's start to dig into some of the uh, finances. Uh, we'll stick with wholesale as a, as a theme, though, for the time being, because I think some of the analysts and, and potentially in the statement yourselves, you sort of addressed how building that wholesale channel can sometimes be a bit dilutive, um, especially if it's not being sort of made up elsewhere in the business. So maybe, Mark, this is a question more for you, but how do you go about making sure that that growth doesn't come at the expense of the overall gross margin? Um, yeah, so our wholesale business is uh, at a lower gross margin than, than retail. So typically, wholesale will be around about a forty, low forty percent gross margin, and, and retail will be around around about sixty. But we have no capital, and we have a very low operating cost behind that wholesale business. So when you take it all the way all the way down to operating profit margin, wholesale is one of our most profitable sides of our business. Um, but it's about getting the balance right. It's about having the right amount of wholesale alongside our our retail activity. And whilst you're saying there's no capital in that part of the business, there is capital in the business more generally. Sure. And this is something that you addressed at um, the last set of results, which were released in July. You know, for full disclosure, I mean, Liberum called those results outstanding was their exact vocabulary. And they had obviously been subject to several earnings upgrades ahead of time. So they weren't a poor set of numbers by any means. But I think the market was slightly sort of jittery about the rise in the CapEx bill year on year and also where you stated it might go from here on out so perhaps you can just explain more thoroughly why capex is rising and and why now yeah so so last year um uh, we acquired the site for a new head office so people that know the brand know that we're a brand that always wants to invest in the future uh, and in creating a a long uh, sustainable business um so we bought uh, we spent four and a half million pounds acquiring a site with a, a land with a um office building on it last year and next, over the next year, we'll, we'll be redeveloping that and creating a 60,000 square foot office that will house all of our teams in Market Harbour. Um, and that puts us in a really good position for the next 10, 20 years, uh, driving the brand forward. So 
we will see higher capex uh, in this current year and next financial year and then we'll come back down to our our standard level of capex it's around about 10 million pounds a year um, and that includes our store estate it investments particularly the the e-commerce platform and our supply chain logistics platform so and just just for context it had risen to around 17 yeah so yeah. so so we generally it's, it, capex is around about 10 million Last year was 17, this year will be around sort of 16, as will next year, and then it will come back down to 10. And let's talk about store openings, because that isn't an unrelated topic necessarily. Um, Colin, I'm going to quote you what you said to me at the time of results in July, which was that the attitude to new openings remains highly selective. And if industry data is to be believed, it sort of suggests that there might come a time when any business, any retail business has, frankly, enough stores. Is that something that you also believe? And where does the current estate sort of sit in that trajectory? Yeah, you're right. It should be a, a constant challenge, and we see it as a as a challenge to make sure that we're making the right decisions at the right time. Uh, hard to put a definitive number on the correct number of stores. Uh, we tend to look at it in a couple of ways. Um, first and foremost, in terms of what does the store add in terms of value to the business, and that's everything from brand awareness um, through to a great way of acquiring new customers or retaining existing customers, giving them a great service in terms of click and collect order in store um, so lots of halo effects that a store can offer um, but I think increasingly it's about the relevance of the store location and for us again it comes back to making sure that the store is located where our customer wants to go and increasingly that's about what else is happening in that location for us we have a huge amount of our stores are in what we call lifestyle locations where our customer goes on vacations be it you know holidays in the summer or weekends uh, and therefore it's a great reason to have a store uh, to match our, our customers' needs. Um, but around the rest of the country, there has to be a good reason why a customer wants to go to that location, be it an um, out-of-town shopping centre, be it a high street, um, and we constantly challenge what are those reasons. Yeah, and from a financial perspective, Mark, I mean, there's obviously been a lot of stuff in the press this uh, this year, not least from me, um, around property leases and particularly the introduction of IFRS 16 um, next year and what that might do in terms of the way that your accounts look. But I, I, we've talked about it in the past, but perhaps you could just explain how you sort of approach leases. We've had a few retailers come undone this year because of leases, um, but they tend to be older properties with much longer sort of 25-year terms attached to them. And I suspect that's not the way that you're doing things um yeah that's not the way that we we do things so um firstly our stores tend to be fairly small so they're around sort of the average about 1200 square foot but a larger store for us would be 3000 square foot so that so they're relatively small compared to some of the department stores or, or other big high street retailers um and then when we when we start a new lease when we open a new store we would we would never sign off for anything that that's beyond a five-year break so and increasingly we are looking for leases that are shorter than that and indeed we have some that, that are just one or two year um, revolving leases within the portfolio so on average our lease length is 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 less than five years um, which gives us a really high degree of flexibility so if a store suddenly starts to not perform to the level that we need we can we can move uh, or relocate that store with some uh, with fairly easily 
And from a reader's perspective, obviously, just uh, by way of information, obviously, having that flexibility within the portfolio ultimately gives you financial flexibility at the end of the day to avoid rent increases or rate increases that you don't think are manageable. Um, The other thing that might have sort of put the market on edge slightly at the results was obviously that movement in your net cash position as well. Historically, it had tended to end the period around 3 million. And by the end of last uh, reporting period, it was down to about 40,000. Perhaps you can just sort of explain what's going on there and how you as a board sort of approach what you spend money on versus what you don't yeah so that's um two things so we so we acquired the the premises for our new head office last year which was one use of use of cash um we also started paying dividends uh for the first time so that was cash outflow last year um that we didn't have previously um but colin referenced the the exceptional growth that we've been seeing in our u.s wholesale business so we had a higher level of stock on hand at the at at the end of may than we did the prior year to service the the 100 150% growth growth in our US wholesale business. So that that position was a sort of temporary uh, cash position impacted by that uh, investment in inventory really. So do you expect the flow to sort of normalize then yeah, in the yeah. next couple of years? Yeah. yeah. I think most of the analysts that follow us have that sort of so that, that that view as well. Let's talk about stock though, because I find this interesting, particularly at this time of year, right? We're headed into festive trading period, as the uh, as the industry likes to coin it. But specifically, Black Friday now is uh, is a new item on the calendar, um, and a lot of retailers do have to build higher stock positions ahead of these next couple of months. Historically, Jules has always had a fairly sort of clean exit stock position, um, but as you say, the business is getting bigger and, and and it's getting more global. So, are you still confident of a achieving that clean stock position comes sort of maybe the end of January I don't know officially when you take it but yes we're less seasonal uh, from a, the traditional retail model because we have a lot of our stores are in sort of coastal locations so we have quite a peak um, over the summer months for those and um, because we have a wholesale model we ship into wholesale ahead of the peak season so we we tend to have a smoother working capital flow than a lot of uh, pure retail businesses but yes we still have higher inventory coming into uh, Black Friday and to the Christmas periods. Um, but as a business, we have um, sort of shown over the years, we, we operate with a very sort of clean, disciplined position on our on our inventory. So if you say you're less seasonal then, do you not see, like a lot of other retailers do, that sort of pull forward effect happening now with Black Friday, where you get a lot of what would have been Christmas purchases dragged forward and then this sort of dearth, I think, which really hurt people last year, people like Debenhams, for example, around the actual sort of lead, you know, week before Christmas, which was a bit unprecedented. Yeah. I think I think Black Friday is a reality now in the the British retail landscape, and we we've embraced it. So we we participate in Black Black Friday, but we see it as part of the trading over the whole Christmas seasonal period. So it starts with Black Friday. We then have a, a run into Christmas where people are buying more gifting for them and and products for them for themselves, and then in the immediate bit before Christmas when they're buying Christmas presents for others. So over the last three years, we've just refined our approach to that, and it's worked worked well. Okay, well, let's finish then by just talking about what next year um, in a calendar sense might hold for you guys, because I think if there's one thing I can sort of say with um, relative authority, it's that the retail business is going through a structural and permanent change. And it's one that I think some businesses are better set up for than others. Um, Jules is a newer business, particularly in terms of its history as a public company. So in terms of where you might sort of leverage your access to capital markets and things like that, what are the sort of big plans? in the pipeline 
as you say, we're a, a new brand with actually amazingly quite low brand awareness. So we see a lot of headroom there in terms of our growth of brand awareness and obviously the sales that follow that. Um, for us, it's about keeping that model flexible in terms of the multi-channel that we talked about earlier and that gives us lots of opportunities um, particularly in the UK but then of course international is a big growth area for us as well and the beauty of that is is that it's a wholesale model so actually we get to see our order book six months before the season starts so it gives you a good level of confidence uh, way ahead of the of the new season uh, and then we also have some quite exciting uh, developments in our licensing area as well uh, where we've seen some success particularly over the last year as we've added in new licensed product areas such as sofa collection and then building on uh, some of our existing uh, licensed product areas such as toiletries with boots. Um, so we're keeping that pipeline going uh, as, alongside the, both the UK and the international growth. And in terms of where the consumer might be next year, I mean, it's a it's a probably a very horrible and unfair question of me to pose to you to predict <laughs> consumer confidence because it's sort of anyone's guess. But, you know, in in a way, you guys should have your ear to the ground more than others and be aware of what may or may not have huge influence. Obviously, a lot of people are talking about next March as a as a pivotal shift, depending what happens, depending what sort of agreement is struck around exiting the EU. I mean, are those sort of catalyst events in your mind at all? Well, as you say, we're certainly not immune to uh, customer sentiment and uh, what impact that has in terms of their shopping habits. For us, I guess, uh, we focus on the controllables, the things that we can actually control. And our biggest asset is our brand and its standout being distinctive and the product offer being unique to what others do. Uh, and obviously, we're coming from a relatively small base in the you know whole horizon of the, the UK clothing business. So there's market share that we can take from others. So that's what we focus on. Um, and make sure that we can be flexible to, to move between channels, between product areas uh, to deliver that growth. OK, well, thank you very much for joining me today and thank you for tuning in. Join us again for another episode of Boardroom Talk. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.